This is Healthcare Strategies. This podcast was recorded remotely due to the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, the quality may be a little lower than our usual standards. We appreciate your patience as we practice social distancing. From all of us at Extelligent Healthcare Media, stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the latest episode of Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Kelsey Waddell, editor of Healthpayer Intelligence. What do we actually mean when we say the phrase value-based care? It became clear a couple of years ago that we're not all necessarily on the same page about what that term indicates. A well-known study that Humana published in 2019 revealed four points of disagreement amongst healthcare leaders about the term value-based care. Are we any more cohesive today on the meaning and implementation of value-based care than when this study was published almost two years ago? Here to talk with us more about how the healthcare industry can further unify around value-based care, we have Dr. LaChauncey Woodard and Trey Cockerell. Dr. Woodard is the director of Humana Integrated Health System Sciences Institute at the University of Houston and is also a professor at the University of Houston's College of Medicine. Prior to joining the Humana Institute, she completed her internal medicine residency and a fellowship in primary care research at Baylor College of Medicine and earned a Master's of Public Health from the University of Texas Health Science Center School of Public Health. Following this, she was a faculty member at Baylor College of Medicine before joining University of Houston as a professor. Trey Cockerell is a senior executive working in the Office of Population Health at Humana Inc., leading strategic relationships. Prior to this position, Trey has been employed at Humana in a variety of capacities over the last 15 years, engaging in human resources, innovation, marketing, and working directly for the chief marketing officer, chief operating officer, and chief executive officer on efforts ranging from benefits design to reorganization efforts and strategy. He also led the startup of Humana's bold goal population health effort. Welcome, Trey. Thank you for coming on today. And Dr. Woodard, welcome back to Healthcare Strategies. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So, um, Dr. Woodard, I'm going to go ahead and start with you with this first question, and that is, how do the definitions of value-based care tend to differ the most in in terms of what facets of the definition of value-based care are most liable to be different based on uh, who is answering the question, what is value-based care? Yeah, I think that you hit on part of the answer in your question. I think that The definition of value depends on what perspective we're looking at value from. So whether or not we're looking from the perspective of the patients, from the perspective of payers, from the perspective of healthcare providers or a broader healthcare system. And I think importantly, uh, when we think about value, I do think that there is some consistency in feeling like, you know, value represents improved healthcare outcomes at lower cost. But I think when you break it down into those different um, categories and you're thinking about it, I think that patients are looking at value from the perspective of they want to see better health outcomes for themselves individually and their families at lower cost. When you think about healthcare providers and you think about value, I think that value is reflected, again, still in that outcomes to cost ratio, but I think that value is also reflected in the fact that providers who are practicing in value-based care arrangements have higher levels of satisfaction with their job and feel like they're better able to meet the broader needs of their patients with their patients at the center of care. 
I think when you think about payers, obviously the benefit is uh, lower cost, but when you think about society more broadly and we think about value, um, I think that that is where um, really some of the most important outcomes related to value occur because you have healthier populations of people. You have a society that's spending less money on healthcare, which then allows for investments in other relevant aspects of everyday life, many of which impact health and health outcomes, and you just have an overall healthier society. So when I think about value, I think it is rooted in improved healthcare outcomes for lower costs, but I think the perspective is a little bit different depending on who you're talking to. So I'm going to direct this next question to you. Is this and, and you kind of touched on it there, but is this a primarily provider payer tension in terms of the distinctions between these definitions, or are there distinctions within providers and payer industries as well? And also, just on top of that, as a follow-up, why do these differences exist? It's a great question, and I think, you know, we did a Delphi panel study a couple of years ago. There were 18 experts involved in three rounds of conversation to really get at the definition of value. And at the end of that, as you know, they, they weren't able to agree on a definition of value. Uh, they also weren't able to agree on a definition of population health. Uh, so when you bring those kinds of experts from all different parts of, of the system to come together in, in three different rounds over a long period of time to really think about and discuss what does value mean, it's a challenge when, when that kind of group can't come up with a, a consistent definition. And the big question that they came up with out of coming out of that was to specify the, the time horizon for measurement. Should we specify that or can value be defined differently? Uh, the one thing they did agree on was that, that value-based payment really encourages optimal care delivery, especially in the coordination across healthcare systems, community resources, and as Lachanchi mentioned, improving health outcomes for both individuals and populations. So that agreement, I think, is, is really important. So when you think about the, the tension, are there tensions between you know, providers and payers? I think it's less about tension and more about how we collaborate, and generate shared interest, and really focus on, on those outcomes. I really think now there's, there's more sameness than differences. As we think more about um, our strategy around human care as a company, which is really about how do we make it easy and how do we help people achieve their best health, which was the essence of our bold goal when we launched it a few years ago. And that's really about being patient-centered. So when we look at improving health outcomes, it's really about patients and populations. And I think value-based care can really help alleviate some of that tension. And it's more about that, that collaboration. The program that, that we created, that specialization that we developed between uh, Humana, the University of Houston, through the Humana Integrated Health System Sciences Institute at the university, really provides a, an opportunity for us to get to a closer definition. We brought together dozens of experts with content across uh, both entities and, and even outside of, of our entities to really think about how each player in the system sees value-based care from those different perspectives. We know a lot of those providers are caring for many complex senior patients and they need a team approach and integration. And, and nobody can tell you that more than LaChauncey, that doing that really creates the understanding of the system and the different kinds of outcomes and the empathy that each parts of the value-based care continuum need to, to understand about each other's components and having what they deliver in value-based care. So focus on improving health outcomes with patients at the center of care is really what it's all about. Yeah, I would just add to what Trey said. I think that he said that really so eloquently. And I think it's important to remember that likely part of why we saw uh, differing 
uh, definitions of what value meant was again the lens of the individuals who were participating in that. I think that you know what you see as value for your patients uh, oftentimes may differ by the unique social circumstances that you see for your patients, and so and 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 their ability to actually access and engage in care. But certainly, the central tenet is that we want our patients to be healthy. We want our populations to be healthy. And so we want our patients to have high quality care and have um, quality outcomes at the most efficient and lowest cost. And so I, I think that there is, um, as Trey mentioned, some consensus around that. And I think what we are learning more is that in order to provide that type of care, it really does require a team. And so it's very hard as we think about historically how we've provided care. Historically, we've provided care in very siloed spaces. And not only have physicians and other healthcare providers experienced care that way, our patients have experienced care that way. And so what I think is very important about value-based care arrangements is that they help us to understand that we need to put the patient at the center of what we're doing and make sure that the patient has all of those services that they need um, in order to be healthy. And that's not just services that are happening in our offices, but also community resources that are necessary for uh, patients to have their most optimal health. And so I think that that's the importance is that we think about this with the patient as the center, but we also think about the continuum and how we can link community resources to clinical resources, how we can better integrate clinicians to make sure that the different needs that patients have are being met and how we can do that in a way that is easier for patients. Oftentimes when we're functioning in silos, it's very difficult for patients to navigate the healthcare system. And so whatever we can do to make that easier for them is important. And I think that that is what uh, value-based care is trying to do and has done successfully where we've been able to successfully implement those healthcare delivery models. It sounds like we are successfully coming towards a much more compact idea of what value-based care is. We have identified that issue and we are moving towards a more cohesive answer. But Trey, I was wondering if you had identified, you know, were there any consequences of the industry having that disparate opinion on this? And are we seeing or did we see any downstream effects of that report two years ago? You know, Kelsey, the biggest thing is consistency of definition really allows us to transform more quickly to systems that reward value. As Lachachi said, we're looking at the highest quality of care at the lowest cost. And if we can do that, and I think, you know, the consequence of not doing that is slowing the, the transformation from fee-for-service to value-based care. And there's, as you know, tremendous waste in the system, and we're convinced that value-based care eliminates a tremendous amount of that waste. So, you know, a consequence of not agreeing on value is, is slowing that transition and really reinforcing the waste. And you know, as, as Lachancey spoke, that uh, really focusing on the integration of the disparate pieces uh, relative to healthcare drives you know, much, much greater outcomes. So agreeing on, on what value means really thinking about value-based care as the, the center point of that and bringing care teams together and then moving upstream to help students learn in teams. And that's, you know, one of the great models of University of Houston College of Medicine, what Dean Span envisioned and what the Chauncey's supporting as well, is how do we integrate all those aspects and move upstream and get that to students? That's why the partnership with the University of Houston was, was uh, so important to us. Because today, clinical students aren't learning value-based care. They're not learning about managed care in their education. So if they go into practice, having learned in a fee-for-service environment, that's a challenge in terms of getting them to transition to value-based care downstream. 
and we know that uh, in, in our own practice, uh, trying to hire clinicians who, who have a fee-for-service background and value-based care, it takes time to transition to that. A lot of learning. And again, why the, the specialization that we created, we think is such a valuable tool uh, to have in the hands of, of clinicians and students and and really anyone, anyone who can learn the content. And that's, you know, again, one of the reasons we did it is not just for clinicians who are transitioning or who are expert in value-based care, but those who really want to learn. And just a great example, one of our instructional designers um, who was consulting with us on the project had no background in value-based care. And at the time, her father was having a health event. And so she was going through all the content and and learning more about value-based care. And she came back and said, wow, you know, it really helped me navigate the system and be able to advocate for my father. Um, Just understanding the foundations of what value-based care are all about, how the system works, creates value. So I think there are tremendous consequences to not agreeing on what value is, and I think we're getting closer to that. And I I do think that uh, we're able to operate in ways that integrate the disparate pieces of the system together to create more value. And again, as LaChauncey said, at lower cost and with better quality and more satisfaction for providers as well. And I would just follow up on a couple of things that I heard Trey say in response to your question, Kelsey. Um, In talking about value-based care and the reason why definitions are important and consistency of definition is important, I would go back to his earlier response about where there was some discordance among um, the panel of experts, and that centered around measurement. And so one thing that having consistency of understanding a shared mental model, a shared definition of what value-based care looks like is that it allows us then to create effective measures to help us see how we're doing in moving along that continuum or path to value-based care. And so I think that that's one reason why coming to a more consistent definition is important. But I also think that when we're thinking about measurement and consistency of definition, that we make sure that there is flexibility for different patient populations because there are patient populations where value may be reflected more in how we're able to connect individuals to community resources to address some of the social determinants of health that are influencing their health outcomes. So I think that there has to be that flexibility so that we can make sure that our definitions and our measures are reflective of the patient populations that we're seeing. And with regard to interprofessional teams, again, you know, traditionally medicine has been practiced in silos. And as I stated before, that's not only how we experienced it as providers, but also how our patients experienced it. And it's important that we start to change that if we want to provide the highest quality of care for our patients and improve our patient experience as well as our healthcare professionals experience. And so to Trey's point, one of the things that we've been able to do is to leverage this relationship to start introducing these concepts to our students earlier and to think about ways that we can bring our students together so that they're working together and learning together and are more prepared to go out and practice in value-based care arrangements. And additionally, that they're exposed to different modalities of how we can deliver care to patients in a way that's more patient-centered. For example, through telehealth modalities or reaching individuals um, in their homes. These are important ways that we make care more patient-centered. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a part of that broader value continuum. Yeah. I know that you touched on this in a previous question. And what is the definition that we have now that we have arrived at after, you know, two years after that report? How do we accurately define value-based care in order to move forward and in order to continue to pursue it well? Again, I think there is consistency and a shared mental model around value representing 
higher quality care at lower cost. And I think if we start with that, and if we are all focused on those particular tenants that we need to provide the highest quality of care that we can to our patients efficiently and at the lowest cost, I think you will find that there's tremendous agreement around that. I still think that everyone will bring their individual lens to um, value and what it means um, in their particular healthcare systems and for their patients. And I think that's also a reason why it's important as organizations start to shift to value-based care models that all of the relevant stakeholders and voices are included in that shift. That we understand, you know, uh, from the patients that we're caring for, what is value from their perspective? What is value from our physicians, our nurses, our pharmacists? What does that look like? What is value from an administrator, an administrator or payer perspective? And if we bring those relevant stakeholders together and make sure that we're all aligned and have, again, that shared mental model, I think it will greatly facilitate how we make these transitions within um, different organizations. But I think it's important that we not as we think about this, make this just about healthcare systems and payers, but that we understand that when we are talking about a healthcare system, we're talking about all of the individual components of that and all of the stakeholders that are a part of that. That's, I would just add, that's really well said, Lachanti. And I think the core of it is how we put patients at the center and really make everything we do in their care about improving the patient experience and patient outcomes, the health outcomes, uh, and that then has the the rising effect of improving the experience for all the providers in the system uh, and being able to operate in that team-based environment. You know, again, being able to bring your individual lens to that care is just incredible. And it, I think it adds a tremendous dimension to care delivery overall that we don't see in other kinds of care delivery models. It allows people to really practice the top of their license. It allows clinicians to practice with the passion that they of why they went to, to medical school or nursing school to begin with. It really is offering differential value to everybody in the system. Mm. And just one last follow-up to what Trey said. As I listened to him speaking, what really resonated with me is that value-based care, one of the goals in thinking about how we can facilitate moving care to being higher quality at a lower cost is creating the necessary incentives to do that. So oftentimes, as we look traditionally at healthcare, there have been disincentives for that. And so, and and not necessarily intentionally, but just by the way that the system and our payment models were structured. And so value-based care allows us to create incentives that support putting the patient at the center and engaging in caring for our patients as a team rather than as individuals. And as Trey mentioned earlier, that is particularly relevant as we think about some of the complex issues that we're facing in healthcare. Again, we have an aging population that has more comorbidities and are more complex. We also have the need for more primary care physicians and other healthcare professionals who are working in the primary care setting to take care of those patients. And then finally, we also have a real need to think about how we are bringing teams together to make sure that we're able to meet the needs uh, most effectively. And so creating incentives to do that is very important. Mm. The other wonderful thing about that is it, it takes egos completely out of care delivery. You know, everybody operating together as a team uh, for the common good of the patient at the center with every different profession aligned to that. 
can make a critical difference without really having any focus on, on individuals. I know that this is a big part of Humana, a big part of your goals. And so my question to you, Dr. Woodard, would be, you know, how do you think that payers and providers should go about not just assessing whether what they're pursuing is truly value-based care, but also how to rally the culture of the organization around that goal? Well, um, I think when when you're thinking about any sort of large change or doing something that's different, I think applying the principles of change management are important. And I think as a part of that, it's important to find who are your champions. Having champions at all levels is important because there are going to be people who are early adopters and there are going to be people who lag behind. And that's okay. The goal is to make sure that we get those champions um, out there and we empower them to be messengers about why uh, this is important for our patients, why this is important for the community of providers, and why this is important for the organization and, and populations at large. So I think finding those champions is important. I think finding those stakeholders across levels is important. Recognizing that anyone who is involved in any part of the care of our patients is a relevant stakeholder and should have a voice as we think about making those transitions, and, and that our patients should also have a voice as we make those transitions. And then the last thing that I'll say is it's very difficult to accomplish large, wide-scale change without leadership support. So it's important to have leadership support. It's important to have incentives that align and support our healthcare professionals in transitioning to value-based care and our patients to engaging in value-based care arrangements. And again, just having all of those relevant voices at the table to make sure that everyone's perspective is heard, and then finding those champions who are going to help uh, to, to spread this through our organizations and our healthcare teams. You know, I would just add to that, that when you think of transforming the culture of an organization to really rally around uh, value-based care, as Lachanti said, starts at the top. It's with the, the vision. And so in Humana specifically, that is central to our vision. And so as we think about human care and putting patients at the center, things we've already talked about, um, how we make it easy, uh, how we help people achieve their best health, uh, certainly starting with that vision and helping everybody understand how that vision creates better outcomes across the system. And that's really what we've done. And, and setting our bold goal back in 2015 to focus on improving health outcomes by making it easier for people to achieve their best health that directly aligns with the vision of the company and has really become a rallying cry for value-based care within our company. We have world-class engagement in our associate populations, about 93, 94% of our associates are engaged with the mission around putting patients at the center. And then when you add to that, thinking about ease of care, when we take care to patients in the home and do things like that to bring care into the home, to bring, again, multidisciplinary teams into the home, to look at care management and continuity of care, and providing all those things focused on the patient really helps us drive those kinds of high quality, lower cost outcomes uh, that are essential and, and really central to value-based care. I'll just say one more time, the, the specialization program that we developed in conjunction with the, the university is a great way for folks to go out and understand things from the basics of the healthcare industry to the different payment models in, in uh, value-based care and to be able to assess their organization on the strengths of the value-based care strategy and how to transition to value-based care. Um, so really a, a lot of great content in that particular tool uh, to help get alignment and develop that, that rallying cry and the culture around value-based care within an organization. But 
final, it, it really starts with putting patients at the center and, and figuring out how we make it easier for them to achieve their best health. Excellent. Um, thank you both so much for those insights. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Feel free to reach out to us at podcasts at intelligentmedia.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. You can also use that email to let us know if there are any health industry related questions or stories you would like us to consider covering. And if you liked this episode and it sparked some thoughts for you, please head over to Apple and give us a few stars and a positive review. Thank you for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production.